I'm comfortable reviewing legal documents from a from a higher level. But I, I also um, I recognize the value of bringing in counsel to help us. So, you know, I, I I'll be the first pair of, of eyes from a legal standpoint in looking at stuff. But but I I'm not an SEC attorney. So, for example, you know, we will bring in, of course, um, SEC counsel to help us draft the private placement memorandum, the offering memorandum, et cetera. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Our guest today is Zach Winter. He's founding partner of Prosperity CRE, firm focused primarily on multifamily investment opportunities and, and really value adds specifically. You're going to hear him talk about that, especially in, an, in another segment, why uh, you know that versus, say, ground up or, or another asset class. But he's principal at Cornerstone Investments, past and present investment opportunities include multifamily, uh, uh, industrial flex, which you'll get to hear him talk about what that is and, and how that's performed for them even today, uh, how it's how it's going, and, and some hotel, uh, a hotel deal that he did early on in his record recommendations or thoughts around that. But 30 plus years experience in real estate investing. Uh, he, he's an attorney by trade and just experience in business and finance and, and a number of things that have helped him uh, you know, in, be uh, uh, successful right in this space. Uh, and so we're, we'll talk about that background uh, in the first segment. We're going to jump into uh, you know his his uh, ability to look at those documents, you know, at another level than say typically we have on our team, right? Especially early on, uh, until you can hire in-house counsel. But often you have to have quite a bit of scale to be able to do that. So you're going to get to hear that uh, more about that and the relationship between counsel, and, you know, in this in the syndication team. Uh, but then in another segment, we're going to dive into some other specialties that he has that I know are going to be beneficial to you. Zach, welcome to the show. I wish I had a background as an attorney getting into this business, but I did not. That would have been so helpful. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, you do, and uh, for you, and, and we're going to talk about some of that. Uh, and but you know, let's let's learn a little more about who Zach is uh, and getting into this getting into this business. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show, Whitney. I'm happy to be here. I initially got into investing in real estate many years ago about about 30 years ago 30 plus years ago you know as i am an attorney and um back in the 90s i decided to get a a broker's license to broker loans which as an attorney it's it's quite easy to get and so i started doing loans primarily residential loans and i got connected with a real estate investment group that was buying single family homes around the country and so I went around the country and got licensed in eight or nine of the key states where, where this was happening, you know, Las Vegas, Nevada, Florida, Utah, Phoenix, Arizona, key states like that. And then I was doing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of loans um, for real estate investors. They'd buy homes, typically new homes. And at the time you could get like a three bedroom, two bath for $100,000 and you put 10% down, right? They had those 10% down loans for non-owner occupied. And so for $10,000, you had a three-bedroom, two-bath home in a fast, quickly appreciating market, and you would rent it out. Um, and the strategy then wasn't necessarily cash flow. It, it, it was um, get the home and try to get the cash flow break even. But over time, you'll, through market appreciation, you'll, you'll, those homes will gain in value. And so that was the strategy. And, and, and the basic premise was, if you have $100,000, you can buy 10 homes. And, and just looking at historical price appreciation for homes in 10 years, 
those homes would be worth, your equity would be worth a million dollars. So you can convert a hundred thousand to a, to a million dollars in 10 years. So that was the basic premise, doing lots of loans. And then I started buying homes as well. And so that's how I started getting into real estate investing. Um, eventually over time, you realize there, there's lots of benefits to scaling up and having larger properties. So eventually I made the transition over, over to commercial. Right now I'm more focused on multifamily. Um, and um, yeah, so that's that's how I got my start. What did it, uh, you know, transitioning from single family, multifamily, what was that jump? What did that look like for you uh, in making that transition? I initially transitioned to commercial, not directly multifamily, but my my first, um, I guess you'd call it syndication, but it was mostly friends and family coming in passively. I bought a hotel in Austin, Texas. It was a Wyndham flagged hotel. It was an airport hotel. And so that was my first foray into owning commercial real estate. And um it, it was a little bit more like owning a owning and running a business than owning, you know, multifamily, which isn't as hands-on intensive. It's kind of like multifamily, but you have a new tenant in every in every unit every day, and you have to plan for booking all of that out. Uh, but that was the first commercial property that I owned, uh, and then after that, we we acquired um, a couple of industrial flex office parks in St. Louis. Those are terrific properties. We still hold those. I brought in passive investors through syndications on those. Uh, but those are uh, single tenant, triple net lease properties. And they're the types of properties where it, it's it's um, single story, showroom or office in the front, and then warehouse in the back, right? And then it's up to each tenant how how much showroom or office you want and how much warehouse. That's why it's called flex. You can The building is built to to really adjust the proportions that are office versus warehouse. But those are terrific properties. And even with all the distress that's happening today in the office sector. You knew I was going to ask you that, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's an issue, right? It's right. it's definitely an issue here, but but it's not an issue with industrial flex office. It's it's you know, they're not building a lot more of this type of product because I don't think it's like if you were to come in and build, that wouldn't be the highest and best use because they typically are single story. So you're not going vertical. And so because of that, the supply is fairly limited and, and the demand is, is very high. I mean, we're in the St. Louis market and the demand is extremely high. Uh, and so we have no problem pushing rents. We have no problem keeping them 100% occupied. And so after that, I, I you know started buying multifamily um, and, and our focus is value add versus crowd uh, and so uh, a tenant in a space like that it sounds like maybe uh, i mean i'm just guessing but it's like we have a, a front of some kind but then we have our own say machine shop or something in the back uh where yeah. we're actually producing our our widget right, right there and customers come in the front door that's right and we have a wide variety of, of tenants you know we've got um some some regional tenants credit tenants and it's um, they tend not to be kind of the lower end kind of automotive type of of industrial park. They're they're more high end. So, so for example, we we have a um, a very prominent hedge fund um, in one of our spaces, and they occupy um, a couple floors of of a high rise 
in a very high-end area of St. Louis. But because they're trading all day, uh, I think because of SEC requirements, they're required to have an off-site emergency location. So if there's a tornado or a hurricane and it takes, you know, it impacts their ability to occupy and transact in their main place, they can come over to their off-site place as an emergency relocation site. And so uh, their space in our park is is um, fully built out like office, 100% office. It's a beautiful, they spent a tremendous amount on their tenant improvement build out. But it, um, prior to COVID, it was it was vacant. It was 100% vacant other than a person at the front occupying it for security purposes. When COVID hit, because of the shutdown and because we're, you know, we're not going into the office, people transitioned over to our space and it actually began being utilized. And as the COVID lockdown continued, they needed to bring more people back and expand. So we actually expanded that that space. Um, so that that's one tenant. Another tenant is a they're one of the, the premier um, event coordinators in St. Louis. Um, so they put on weddings and things like that. So the front is a showroom with the different types of dis- displays you can have in in uh, at your event. And then, then in the back, there's, you know, supplies for the events. They have a yeah. full walk-in refrigerator for flowers, et cetera. So there's, it, it's diverse mix of tenants in these. Speak in to the your all's focus right now, uh, the type of real estate you all are focused on now and, and maybe the last kind of project that you all uh, acquired. Yeah. So right now we're really focused on value add multifamily. We really like that asset class. As it turns out, it seems to be the strongest asset class in in where we are in the economy right now. And and we prefer value add versus versus ground up. Um, So we like to buy, you know, existing multifamily properties um, that have uh, maybe rents below market and units haven't been upgraded in a while and the common areas need a refresh and and that you know that's our our typical acquisition so so for example our latest acquisition was a 180 unit apartment complex in Kansas City Missouri we love Kansas City it's a great market it hadn't had a consistent unit upgrade since i think 2009 kind of spotty upgrades and the common areas need a refresh and the rents were below market even without upgrading the unit so that you know that's perfect for us that's that's our, our ideal acquisition nice so we're going in we bought it in um closed at the end of january of this year we finished our model upgrade and now we're going through and upgrading you know the units as we turn them and increasing the rents and and upgrading the common areas as well you know, let's dive in on your, I guess, your specialty a little bit. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you have an interesting you know, right, background. I feel like you have mm-hmm. a leg up on on some groups, right? Just because of your expertise as an attorney. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we recently hired uh, hired somebody who's an attorney on our staff as well. Uh, and it's like, it's great to just, I mean, we got somebody with that expertise that can read, uh, you know, over things, look at things, provide some uh, guidance or even pushback, right? Or say, hey, you right. should ask your securities guy about this, you know, that we wouldn't have known to ask about uh, maybe otherwise. Uh, and so they thought you could probably speak into that uh, really well, you know, for the listener uh, who, you know, it's like we get, when we get contracts or, you know, these security docs or whatever it may be, JV agreements or all these things that uh, are so important, right? And the, yeah. and the language in these documents is crucial, um, you know, over the life of this project or agreement. Um, you know, 
I, I wanted to just dive in there a bit as you, you know, have that expertise. Um, you know, maybe you could help the listener think through, man, this is where some big mistakes are typically made that are, you know, you're looking at these documents often now from maybe a different seat, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, I don't know, help us to think through some of those kinds of documents that you're reviewing all the time and where maybe you see, uh, you know, in the syndication process, uh, there's some issues, right? Or that mm-hmm. are often happening that you're having to go back and have fixed or, you know, what are, you know, that, that I would normally see maybe if I didn't have mm. somebody like that on the team. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly very, very helpful to have the legal background. And, you know, I did both transactional and litigation work. So I'm comfortable reviewing legal documents from a, from a higher level. But I, I also, um, I recognize the value of bringing in counsel to help us. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I'll i be the first pair of, of eyes from a legal standpoint in looking at stuff, but but I, I'm not an SEC attorney. So, for example, you know, we will bring in, of course, um, SEC counsel to help us draft the private placement memorandum, the offering memorandum, et cetera. But having the legal background and being able to look at these different provisions and, it, you know, it's it's... Um, to a certain extent, it's boilerplate, but but there is some customization that you can do in all of these documents. And so part of it's just having that background and 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 it, these various provisions will come up and you recognize, oh, well, this may be something I want to tailor, right? So for example, when you start giving distributions to your investors, are you treating it as a return of capital or a return on capital, right? And that could have significant ramifications. And so it's it's various provisions like that and thinking about, well, how is this going to apply um, in, in our actual business as we're making distributions? What are the tax consequences to, to us and to our investors? So that's just kind of an, an example, you know, and similarly, when we're doing, you know, most people will not engage an attorney to draft an LOI when they're thinking about putting out an offer, um, say, for example, an apartment complex, you know, usually you're throwing out lots of LOIs and then you only get a small percentage of those. So it, it would be very costly to engage an attorney to do that each time. So, but, but by the same token, you know, that's the first step. So you don't want to lock yourself into something that, you know, your attorney is going to have to walk back if you happen to be the winning bidder in that, in that deal. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was- we we do engage in our attorney for most LOIs because uh, we uh, we just want that legal counsel up front, mm-hmm. right? Because that legal counsel is going to be with us uh, through the through the life of, of, or I would say, the getting to cl- the closing table, right? Right. <laughs> so uh, you know, getting that deal there and working with sellers counsel as well, and you know, uh, all those things and a lender and uh, you know, um, and so we. I value yeah. <laughs> their their expertise in a, in a big way uh, to say say the least. You know, what's your thoughts on you know when when you all do engage in counsel or maybe sometimes where you've seen other people make mistakes? I know we talked about the LOI specifically, but any other places? Well, um, you know, the purchase and sale agreement is is key. I mean, when when you, that is the guiding document that you will have to abide by as you go through your due diligence and and escrow and close. And so you need to make sure that you're considering all of the, you know, all the different different provisions in there, both with respect to, you know, what your timeline is, what your obligations are. If you if you're going to miss a timeline, obviously, you know, are you you're putting in earnest money? Is it hard? Is it not hard? Under what circumstances can you get that money back? 
are you going to get some of the 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 rent back from the seller if 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 there's additional rent that went to them uh, and, and similarly if you're the seller are you going to owe rent to the buyer you know after the close so there's lots of different provisions that you really that can have a financial impact the reps and warranty that's you know that's always a battle that's always a, a push and pull between the buyer and the seller and to me that's like you know you it's going to be a negotiation and you push for as much as you can regardless of what side you're on but but that's always kind of an issue as as, as you know yeah speak to the maybe give some advice on on just the the relationship between the say the operator and counsel you know or their counsel i don't know just thinking through that relationship dynamic um, yeah. you know just from your level of expertise there from really both sides now yeah. You know, what, what's nice is once you've been in the business a while, you'll establish a relationship with your go-to counsel, both, both for SEC, you know, for your PPMs and, and your transactional attorney. So for both of those, we, you know, we have our go-to attorneys and it took us, um, you know, maybe a few transactions to settle in on which one we have the best relationship with and, uh, but now, particularly with our transactional attorney, because uh, we're using him more, more for more things than just, hey, let's negotiate this purchase agreement, you know, because we have um, these um, commercial leases, for example, at our industrial flex office parks. Well, those can be very complex. They're very different than multifamily leases, which are are very cookie cutter. Each commercial lease is customized and it takes a while to negotiate the terms and provisions of a commercial lease. And so um, so we have a great relationship with our transactional attorney and he really comes in and provides a lot of input there. And I will say there, we do engage him at the LOI stage with these commercial leases. You typically will have an LOI. And 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 again, it's very customized for the tenant and the space. And so and, and and the LOI will dictate the basic terms of the of the lease agreement. So we will bring him in on that at that stage as well. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, that's uh, yeah, I, I just, uh, you know, as we think through, uh, there's definitely, uh, uh, I don't know, just times where uh, it's hard to get in touch with that attorney too. <laughs> I know they're so busy, right? Uh, yeah. But man, we really need their counsel. Uh, but I, what I find too is, uh, you know, as time goes on, you know, you just do enough deals together and there's just the relationship builds and and exactly. uh, they know what you need and they understand the way you operate. And you understand, you know, like that relationship grows uh, and uh, man, I would just, yeah, couldn't, couldn't make it without ours now. Yeah, um, exactly. And as you're saying, as the relationship grows, you know, you get, you get, a really good flow of communication going shorthand communication they're in tune to what your needs are and 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 there's a real um yeah a real rapport that's developed yeah uh, what about uh you uh, how would you uh, just knowing what you know now what would you do different say you know when you first got into commercial real estate i probably wouldn't have bought a hotel i mean the hotel we did well with it but primarily because we bought in um in austin texas and this was about Oh, I don't know, 17 years ago, approximately. And so Austin was one of the fastest appreciating markets in the country. And we went there because it, it's a great market for hotels. There's always stuff going on in Austin. You know, it's the mu live music capital of the world. They have UT Austin. It's the state capital. 
They have South by Southwest, Austin City Limits. Um, they were just building the new Circuit of the Americas Formula One track, and that was just finished like a year after we purchased um, our hotel, and it was very close to our hotel. So we had a lot of international travelers from there. But so so we ended up doing well with it, but it was very hands-on intensive. And um and and with hotels, you're very dependent on your I think you're dependent on on your management regardless of your asset class, especially if you're an out-of-state investor, which which we are, right? We don't, we're in Los Angeles, we don't own anything in California. So we partner with best in class third-party management companies. And I will say that with with the hotel, we did struggle a little with finding great property managers. And we cycled through three different management companies, you know, and, and, and that, that impacts the business each time you have to transition to a new management company. And, and we were, you know, we, it was very hands-on. We were flying out from LA to Austin, probably, you know, monthly to keep things on track. And so if I had it to do over again, I probably wouldn't do that. You know, I think I was probably drawn to, to the cap rate. And, and I think that's an, uh, you know, an, an issue for a lot of new investors. They're so focused on the potential cash flow, um, the potential profit, and, and they don't weigh that against, against the risk of that particular asset class with, or, or that particular level of asset, whether it's like a class C or a class C minus multifamily, but, oh, look at the potential cash flow um, or, or a mobile home park uh, or a hotel. That was one of my big lessons learned is, is you really need to balance out the risk versus the potential reward and not just look at the potential cash flow, but look at how much time it's going to suck from you and whether you're going to be able to achieve that given how much, you know, on hands-on management you want to personally have. Yeah. I, I think that can be applied to so many aspects of a business. You know, it's like we forget to think through the distraction this thing may be from like our our main thing, right? Or, or our main skill set even. And I, I feel like I've had to learn that the hard way a, a number of times, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, man, this thing can, the, you, you do, you get focused on the potential, what you think's the potential, right? And, and right. but man, you miss the, uh, the risk. As, and sometimes it, I find it's a, uh, there may be a bad risk as far, you know, uh, as, as far as that we always talk about, but I think often a risk we don't talk about is, just the distraction from your yeah. what you're good at, right? And pulling you away from uh, from your sweet spot, you know, uh, you know, because it, man, it is going to be so much more labor intensive potentially uh, than what you expected. Uh, what have you What have you seen, Zach, as maybe the hardest part of the syndication process uh, for you? Kind of related to this, getting pulled to other things that you think are going to be good, but it ends up being a distraction or it's not best suited for you. You know, one of the things with syndication, at least with us focusing on on value add multifamily, it's a, an incredibly popular asset class. There's lots of people chasing after that, and so what can happen is you're underwriting, you're underwriting, you're underwriting. You you're not getting the deals, and you could get shiny object syndrome, and you get distracted, and you say, "Well, this isn't working. Let me let me look at this over here," and and so. You know, it's important to stay focused, I think. And that's very related to to what we're talking about, about getting yourself into a pickle where, you know, maybe it's not the thing that's best suited for you, but it's something you can get right now because you're not getting the thing you're best suited for right now. Yeah. So I think having the patience, 
knowing that you're good at, if it's value add multifamily, knowing you're good at that, knowing that's your wheelhouse and having the patience to continue to pursue it. And just know that, that um, you'll get the deal eventually. You just have to keep at it and to stay focused and not get distracted. Yeah. Yeah, man, it that comes in so many forms, doesn't it? The shiny object syndrome, to say the least. Uh, Zach, we're gonna just so listeners know, we're gonna do another segment with Zach. We're gonna dive into a few other things uh, in his specialty. Uh, and uh, Zach, before we go though, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. And I want to encourage listeners again to stick around tomorrow uh, as we're gonna jump into a few more things. Sure, thank you. So I'm on LinkedIn, um, Zach Winner at. Uh, on LinkedIn. And then listeners are welcome to go to my website, which is prosperitycre.com. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 